0: This is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I'm your host, Davey Crockett. Thanks. Thanks for coming. This is episode 144, the 13th and last part of the Grand Canyon Rim to Rim series to enhance your next Grand Canyon run.
1: Grand Canyon! Grand Canyon! Grand Canyon! Grand Canyon! Canyon.
0: I recently published my book, Grand Canyon Rim-to-Rim History, which included many newly discovered stories that I had not previously included in this podcast. In this episode, I will revisit the years between 1990 and 2020, and share what happened in the Inner Canyon during those years. There are now six books in the Ultra Running History series available on Amazon. Read hundreds of fascinating tales of athletes who went ultra-distances during the past several centuries. Long-forgotten races and runners are now remembered. These books would make a great Christmas gift this year. Mm
1: Mmm, run, come see what this river has done. Carve the walls of Grand Canyon with the colors of the rising sun. In
0: 1991, Jerry Chavez, a Vietnam veteran of Leadville, Colorado, worked for the National Park Service. He operated the pump station at Indian Garden, which pumped water up to the South Rim. He was also a member of the park's 20-member rescue team and kept in shape by running Rim to Rim. Chavez said the dumbest thing he saw was people hiking without food or water.
1: Chavez had seen a lot of weird things in the canyon, including a guy hiking in a dusty tuxedo and a woman in high-heeled shoes. Often he would
0: rescue hikers suffering from heat stroke. One case was particularly bad. He remembered, When I saw that man, he looked like death. He had to be carried up a mile. His temperature was 109. We were running water from a creek and kept pouring it on him. When they flew him to Flagstaff, he still had a temperature of 105. The doctor called and said whoever worked on him saved his life. The guy walked out of the hospital as normal as can be. Chavez was awarded a National Park Service Achievement Award. On September 18, 1891, South Kaibab Trail was totally shut down with federal agents crawling around it with rifles and large binoculars. President George H.W. Bush visited the canyon and descended down the trail with a group. The president wore loafers that were coated with dust and sweat drenched the back of his shirt. He chatted quite a bit about the views and the fishing in the Colorado River and at Phantom Ranch. He really wanted to get to the bottom, but they turned around after going down 685 feet to Ua Point. After they turned around, Bush left most of his group behind and powered up the trail. His hike lasted about an hour and covered 1.8 miles. During February 1992, a major rock slide destroyed a large portion of the North Kaibab Trail between Supai Tunnel and the bridge across the ravine below. It took out nearly 9,000 feet of switchbacks. The slopes had been soaked by early winter rains, becoming very muddy, and then crashed down into the canyon. Bruce Aiken at Roaring Springs reported, Rebuilding the trail is going to be very difficult. It will take at least two months, maybe longer. Hikers were given directions to use the old Bright Angel Creek Trail instead.
1: A few hikers had been using the old trail each year, but there had not been enough traffic to keep it well defined. In some places, it has disappeared.
0: The closure of North Kaibab lasted for about four months. About 1,500 feet of trail, five switchbacks, and 8,000 feet of retaining wall were destroyed. Tons of fill were used to reconstruct the trail, and 25 new drainage devices were put into place. Mother Nature was not through with 1992. On the evening of September 15, 1992, heavy rain again hit the North Rim. Ranger Brian K. Wisher was at Cottonwood Campground and quickly ran and warned campers of possible danger.
1: Upon his arrival, he discovered a flash flood running through the lower section of the campground with a four to five foot wall of water moving large boulders directly through four campsites. Wisher waded through the middle of the flood to contact every campsite, directing campers to his nearby residence.
0: Wisher then helped several people stranded on a picnic table to get through the water to safety. Once they all got in dry clothes and made hot food, Wisher went back to check the upper campground. He had to wade across a 35 foot channel of two to three feet of flowing water to get someone out of their tent and bring them to safety. Finally, all 28 campers were accounted for and in the station.
1: Not only did he feed and shelter all of the campers, Supplied emergency food and clothing of his own, but he also comforted several campers suffering from hysteria.
0: For his bravery and quick, heroic action, he was given a Valor Award by Department of Interior Secretary Bruce Babbitt in a ceremony held in Washington, D.C. In 1993, an artist, Ronald Nicolino of Point Richmond, California, had a unique idea for a rim to rim. He wanted to string 10,000 bras across Grand Canyon in 1995 and planned to ride Amtrak coast-to-coast to, coast to collect donated bras. He said, quote, Every bra is like a vote. The National Park, of course, said it wouldn't happen. Nicolino said, We have to be awfully careful with the engineering. There has to be zero impact. We don't want braziers floating down the walls into the Colorado River. The chain will move with the canyon breeze, emitting a rich, soft glow and a slight hum. (laughs) It will bring joy to all those who view it. Donations came in. Radio stations held promotions collecting bras. He had his distractors. One man wrote, calling him a, quote, creepy, degenerate pervert. Nicolino did travel by train getting donations for his, quote, bras across the Grand Canyon project, waving his donations at stops. By 1996, the project was put on the back burner.
1: Nicolino wants to take the 10,000 bras he's collected and string them between two high-rises across Madison Avenue in New York.
0: With 14,000 donated bras, he created a big giant bra ball like a rubber band ball, and pulled it around with a pink Cadillac. Nicolino died of cancer in 2009 at the age of 69. David Whitsett of Cedar Falls, Iowa, a professor of psychology at the University of Northern Iowa and a veteran of two rim-to-rim runs, publicized and organized a rim-to-rim run for Iowans. A large group showed interest. This October 1994 event demonstrated the new popularity of running across the canyon. Witset said, We found 27 wackos who want to do it. They range all the way from triathlons to people who had never done anything like this before. Organized training began in June, six days a week for those who intended to run. The run took place but no details were published. A group rim-to-rim event did not go as well for Carl Johnson, who advertised his event in High Sierra magazine. He collected fees and told participants how to enter the park by a reduced fee, claiming they were all part of one big family. When park officials contacted Johnson before the run, He said he was just getting a few friends together and it was not an organized event, needing a permit. But the Park Service was smarter. An employee signed up for the run to prove it was an organized event. 28 people took part in the October 9, 1995 run. Johnson was arrested that day and pleaded guilty in the U.S. Magistrate Court. He was fined $500 and the park confiscated the event t-shirts. Criminal investigator for the park, Franco Sidotti,
1: said, In the case of Mr. Johnson, they said one thing but were doing another. I'm sure they didn't realize the potential consequences. We go out of our way to educate and give people a chance to understand our rules.
0: Groups were also being organized to run double crossings. On December 6, 1994, a group of seven from Flagstaff, Arizona, started their double crossing at the South Rim. They were led by Richard Haig, a dentist and veteran of seven previous double crossings. He said, The first year it started out as just to see if we could do it. Every time you run it, you swear you'll never do it again. But then, in a day or two, you start to think about how great it was, and you end up doing it again. Most of them made it, finishing at 8.30 p.m., although a few turned around before reaching the North Rim. The National Park personnel noticed the article published in a Flagstaff newspaper about the run, upsetting Beverly Perry, the backcountry ranger. She said, Running rim-to-rim is becoming a status symbol. Articles romanticizing this kind of thing only makes matters worse. People are naive. Bad things happen here, especially to runners. She was concerned about stretching the resources of search and rescue teams, as well as endangerment of runners and other people using the trail. Haig countered, Their concern about us running is the same as about any hiker. We could get in no more or less trouble than a hiker we were not organized, we did not give awards, we did not charge fees. Is it against the law to go over a walker's pace? No. In 1995, during the Clinton presidency, the Republican Congress was slashing its budget, including a 10% cut for national parks. Grand Canyon National Park needed to consider how to cut back on its costs. Among the proposed changes was to close the inner canyon for day hiking below the Tonto platform from June to the end of October, which would halt rim-to-rim hikes and runs for nearly half of the year. This was not implemented. Because of conflicts over the federal budget, the government was shut down from November 14th to 19th, 1995. This also shut down portions of the Grand Canyon. On November 19th, Five young men from Arizona tried to ride their bikes rim to rim, thinking that no one would be on the trails. They parked a car outside the locked north rim entrance gate and rode down the North Kaibab Trail toward Phantom Ranch.
1: Park personnel saw them riding down the trail and notified the backcountry ranger at Phantom Ranch. The ranger met the bicyclists about a quarter mile north of Phantom Ranch. The men were arrested.
0: Their bikes were confiscated and they were fined between $240 and $590 each. On September 11, 1997, about two inches of rain fell on the North Rim. John and Patty Moran from Louisiana and Patty's brother, John McCoo, of Chicago, took a side hike into Phantom Canyon just up the creek from Phantom Ranch. It was only lightly raining at the canyon bottom where only 0.05 inches fell. Suddenly, they saw and heard a five-foot wall of water coming at them in the 15-foot-wide canyon. The three tried to hide behind a large boulder, but were swept away. Makoo was taken downstream for a half mile and stopped in a
1: whirlpool. He used good swift water techniques, keeping his feet up and flailing with his arms.
0: He made it to shore. There was no sign of the Moran's. He went to Phantom Ranch for help. More than 40 people and two helicopters searched until dark. Patty Moran's body was found a week later by rafters in the Colorado River, 45 miles downriver from Phantom Ranch. John's body was never found. On July 14, 1999, a monsoon storm dumped 1.5 inches of rain on Bright Angel Trail. A rock fell on a hiker near Phantom Ranch breaking his leg. Three others were injured and had to be medically evacuated. Fourteen hikers had to be escorted to safety from Indian Garden and 28 hikers were transported by helicopter from Cottonwood Campground. Fred Fox of Las Vegas, Nevada and some of his buddies were camped at the Bright Angel Campground across from Phantom Ranch. He said... About 3 a.m., we woke up to what we thought was thunder. Pretty soon, we realized it wasn't thunder at all. But boulders were rolling down Bright Angel Creek. The creek was way over its edges, so we got up and broke camp. We ended up spending the rest of the night in the tunnel on the South Kaibab Trail just over the Black Bridge. There were logs, and I mean big logs like trees, in the Colorado River this morning. In 1999, the park continued to wrestle with the challenge of having so many people hiking or running rim-to-rim. During 1997, nearly 500 search-and-rescue missions took place.
1: In response to the ever-growing number of people who wish to test themselves against the rigors of the canyon, the Park Service is instituting a new permit system in an attempt to educate those contemplating such a trip. The problem is that too many people underestimate the canyon or overestimate themselves and end up in trouble.
0: The system proposed would require a $20 permit for any extended day hike rim-to-rim or rim-to-river-to-rim.
1: Only 200 persons each would be permitted to make a long-distance day hike and no permits would be issued for competitive or commercial events.
0: The permit policy was not implemented. In 2011, Alan Curitan's nearly 30-year fastest-known time for a single crossing was finally broken by Jared Scott of Colorado with a time of 3 hours, 6 minutes, 10 seconds just 36 seconds faster. Cureton was at the top of the South Kaibab Trail to congratulate him. In 2012, Rob Crow of Flagstaff was the first runner to break three hours with a time of 2 hours 51 minutes and 30 seconds. As of 2022, the single-crossing FKT was held by Tim Farricks of Flagstaff with 2 hours 39 minutes set in 2017. Kimber Matox of Bend, Oregon holds the women's FKT with 3 hours and 11 minutes, set in 2022. Alan Kieritan's double-crossing FKT of 7 hours and 51 minutes, set in 1981, was held for 25 years until broken by Kyle Skaggs in 2006 with a time of 7 hours 27 minutes. That opened the door for several others to beat the time. It was broken four more times during the next ten years. In 2007, Dave Mackey became the first to run a sub-seven-hour double crossing with six hours, 59 minutes. Finally, one of the greatest ultra-runners of all time, Jim Walmsley of Flagstaff, crushed the fastest time being the first and still only person to run back and forth across the canyon in less than six hours. His time was five hours, 55 minutes, set on October tenth, 2016. When he finished, he said, This one is for Arizona, my friends and my family, who have supported me from day one. Among the women, as of 2022, Taylor Nolan of Colorado holds the double crossing FKT with 7 hours 25 minutes, set on November 11th,
1: 2021. In, in
0: 1987, Wally Scheel of Arizona accomplished the first quad crossing in 24 hours 45 minutes. Jim Nelson, of Salt Lake City, Utah lowered the fastest known quad time in 1999 to 22 hours, 48 minutes. I accomplished the quad in 2006, the fifth to do so, and added more miles to make it an even 100 miles. In 2022, Jeff Browning of Flagstaff broke the quad FKT with 17 hours, 55 minutes, which was supported with pacers and aid. As of 2022, less than 20 people had accomplished a quad. In 2013, Jason Raz Vaughn, the ultra-pedestrian, stunned the rim-to-rim world when he accomplished six crossings of the Grand Canyon in two days, 20 hours, and 10 minutes. The most amazing part of the accomplishment is that he did it unsupported, carrying everything on his back, Receiving no support or resupply along the way except for water. In 2018, Christophe Toucher also accomplished the sextuple crossing while being live tracked on the internet with a spot device. He finished in one day, 17 hours 18 minutes. Benedict Dugoff, originally from the Netherlands, with the experience of eight double crossings, accomplished the rare quad crossing in 38 hours 15 minutes. The following year, in 2016, he again finished a quad crossing also in 38 hours, the first known person to achieve the quad twice, and he did it self-supported, using the longer Bright Angel Trail. The most crossings in one push was an astonishing decouple crossing, ten crossings, five round trips, accomplished first by Paul Hoagie in May 2021. He was accompanied at times by friends and took long naps in his van for a few hours after double crossings, allowing him to keep going. He said, The thought about finishing one and turning back and doing it again, that's one thing that makes this really hard. He completed each round trip between 14 and 18 hours. On one return at night, it was bitter cold down to 17 degrees on the north rim and went up to 110 degrees at one point in the inner canyon. Hoagie completed his decoupled crossing with a time of four days, 17 hours, 22 minutes, for a distance of about 226 miles, with 58,000 feet of climbing along the way. A few months later, in September 2021, Brandon Worthington of Colorado also accomplished the decoupled crossing, doing it faster in three days. 21 hours, 51 minutes, without the outside support of crew or pacers. On March 12, 2018, Gerd H. Nunner from Santa Fe, New Mexico, completed his 100th rim-to-rim hike at the age of 65. In November 2003, he did his first rim-to-rim when he was 51 years old. He then set an original goal of reaching 50 trips across the canyon. But as his passion for the experience increased, so did his goal.
1: Nunner grew up in Würzburg in South Germany and climbed the Alps in his teens. Hiking became part of his life, so when he moved to the United States in 1990, the lure of trails in the American Southwest gripped him.
0: Nunner admitted,
1: I'm an addicted
0: hiker. You don't have to be the Olympian with the gold medal to do this. You can do this and be an average Joe. All of his hikes were accomplished in less than 18 hours, with the fastest in 14 hours 30 minutes. Attempts to break the fastest known times or personal bests continued over the years, at times infuriating hikers and backpackers when runners would pass by with selfish rudeness, making people stop for them. It created constant friction. Two... In 2014, ESPN published an article about runners in the canyon and quests for FKTs.
1: There are no broad statistics on the number of runners who do R-to-R or R-to-R-to-R runs. Everyone agrees that the number is increasing.
0: I was quoted in the article. When I started, only a handful of pretty fit and experienced runners were doing the canyon runs. Now the word's getting out, and as more of these articles are being read, more casual runners are attempting this and making a lot of mistakes. I've heard rangers are concerned that people are treating it like Disneyland. Another 2014 article stated,
1: In their desperation and delirium, they cut to the front of water lines, clog trails and picnic areas by lying down and leaving things behind them. Rangers and the more experienced visitors have to attend to struggling crossers.
0: In 2016, an article in Backpacker blasted the, quote, wave of ultra-runners that was changing the Grand Canyon Corridor region. Wilderness coordinator Lyndon Jalbert was quoted, Running in the park is not a bad thing, but the rim-to-rim runner has a different goal than the casual day hiker or backpacker. They are very concerned about how fast they are going, and this can lead to disregard for other visitors. In a lot of ways, it is an etiquette problem. A survey indicated that one-third of the trail users believed that, quote, rude and inconsiderate trail users were a problem. Ultra running legend Ian Torrance from Flagstaff said, It's not the sport that's the problem. It's some of the people. I just prefer to run in the park rather than to hike or ride a mule. On Saturday, October 10th, 2020, during the pandemic, Grand Canyon National Park Service tweeted a warning that they counted 430 people in four hours during the morning at Phantom Ranch.
1: Be prepared to encounter lots of people. For more solitude, plan your crossing on a weekday.
0: Ram-to-ram hikes and runs continue and the park will continue to wrestle with what to do with all the foot traffic on the trails. Shutdowns are likely as the new water system is put into place. With that, this is Davy Crockett and this is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I hope you run fast and far. Enjoy life get outdoors, and most of all stay safe and don't take unnecessary chances.